Presenting copywriting work to a client strikes fear into the hearts of even the most confident copywriters. Why? Because we're afraid of the response we're going to get back. Will they like it? What if they don't? Will I get paid? Will I ever work again? The temptation to just email it, hope they read it, and pray that they like it is tempting. But is that the best way to present our copy to the client? Is that the best way to get our work approved? The best way to showcase our considered thinking that underpins what we wrote? Are there other ways we can present our work? And if so, what are they? This episode is all about how to present your work to the client so that you can increase your chances of getting it approved quickly, getting more work, and building a long-standing, trusted relationship with your client. And the person who will take us through it all is Mark Farrelly, one of Australia's most awarded copywriters. Mark began his long and successful advertising career at Ogilvy and & Mather, and he worked on well-known brands like BMW, Shell, Hungry Jacks, Kit Kat, Smarties, and Violet Crumble. I sense a, a theme here, and I think it's chocolate. But in addition, he then moved to the iconic advertising agency MNC Saatchi, where he became a senior writer and creative group head, where he worked on brands like Morning Fresh, Cousins Imperial Leather, and many others. And his work on The Age newspaper, Sports Girl, and Colonial First State assisted the agency to win the B&T Agency of the Year Award. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert, and I've been in the game of copywriting for over 30 years. And what I love most about copywriting is that we don't need to complete a three-year degree to be good at it or to become one. Opportunities for education and professional development are all around us. There are the billboards on the highways that we can look at, the emails that land in our inbox, the radio ads on the radio, the Google ads that just pop up everywhere. Copywriting is everywhere around us. But, you know, copy is much more than just advertising. I saw one of my students who did my copywriting course many years ago uh, featured in the newspaper this week. There was a lovely article about her. Now, she's an academic at a university, and I emailed her to let her know I'd seen the article and to congratulate her on everything she's achieved. And she wrote back to me saying, I have been in higher ed for more than 10 years now. It's been stimulating work, and I really enjoy what I currently do. Doing the copywriting course with you has been so useful on so many occasions, especially when trying to write punchy grant applications or tweets or blog posts on academic topics in plain language. I may involve myself in non-academic writing further over the next couple of years as the tertiary sector is going through a bit of a turbulent phase at the moment. I guess it can't hurt to keep an open mind and diversify your skill set. I couldn't agree more. So keep your options open. And I think what this email from my student says is that copywriting is not just for those who want to become a copywriter, but for anyone who wants to learn how to influence others, to write effectively, and importantly, to get a result. So even if you don't want to be a copywriter, maybe consider doing one of our short courses so that you can learn how to write with influence. Maybe you're already a skilled copywriter, but you want to connect with other copywriters, then Copy Club is for you. This is a membership community where you can hang out with other like-minded copywriters, find job opportunities, get your questions answered, get feedback on your copy, and attend our regular Ask Me Anything sessions and much more. So check out copyclub.com.au. Let's get started. Welcome, Mark, to the podcast. Hi, Bernadette. Thank you. 
Mark, I'm really interested in how you present work, how you sell your work to the client, how you deal with the objections that you get from your clients. Because I know with your illustrious career in advertising, you've seen it all. So I'm really interested in in unpicking, you know, some of the techniques that you've seen and you've used and seen other people use in how to get their work approved. Would that be a great way to start the, the podcast? Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about what you've seen in terms of how you start presenting work. Let's just, let's paint the picture. You're sitting with a client and you have done your work. What's the first thing you think somebody should do in order to get their work approved? Well, I'm a great believer in using a creative rationale because I think that a creative rationale is your bridge between the client's brief and the work you're about to present. And without it, if you just go straight into your work, you might not engage with the client in terms of some fundamental basics like uh, a creative rationale enables you to first, first and foremost to telegraph to the client that you've read, digested and understood their brief because that's the first thing the client wants to know is no matter your background or your experience or whatever, and clients will will sometimes tend to have a bit of an attitude of like, sure, you've done it for somebody else, but how do I know you're going to do it for me? So therefore the creative rationale is the uh, your chance to be able to, uh, like I say, bridge between the client's brief and the copy you're about to present. And it gets you off to a good start, I believe. I agree. And I also think what might be interesting for people listening, and, and I'm always targeting this, this podcast at people who are maybe new to copywriting, but maybe people who haven't had the benefit of an advertising agency experience, is that the actual selling of your work begins before you've even presented your work. Would that be a fair call? And that's what the creative rationale is about. You're setting the scene, um, building your credentials, establishing your authority, and giving that client, as you say, the um, the understanding that this is not just something you've cobbled together. It's based on incredible thought, detail, research, and every word has been chosen carefully. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the biggest mistake anybody can make, I think, in in any of the creative industries is believing that your work sells itself. That that is a falsity and and um, a real trap for for young players. I think uh, the client will automatically, as soon as they see my work, they will automatically recognise my genius. They will see the insights and so forth. Clients won't necessarily do that at all. So your ability to be able to uh, to like you say present yourself as somebody who's actually done a professional job uh, on, on the brief and that you're going to come back with some work that will meet the expectations, that will answer some of the insights into the brief, that will that will show that you've actually paid attention, maybe done some research um, and, and all those kinds of things, which all go towards, excuse me, helping you to sell your ideas much better. Not- I know people are probably thinking, what do we do these days? Do we meet with people in person? Do we do it on Zoom? Just before we even launch into the creation of that creative rationale, what is your thinking around the delivery of work these days? Well, I mean, we have to be flexible these days because the reality is that sometimes um, you may be in a situation or in circumstances, like, for example, a lockdown in Melbourne at the moment, 
I couldn't possibly present work live to a client, so I would have to do it by Zoom. And if I do it by Zoom, fundamentally, I'm not necessarily going to change anything substantial in the way I present. However, uh, you may have to present just a little bit better because I believe that if you're not in the room with the person coming across via Zoom is perhaps not as strong, not as convincing, not as real. There are some gaps between you just through the very process of the technology. And also you can't see them and you can't see their body language. You can't just yeah. project. There's a lot of uh, toing and froing in-person uh, conversations that you just don't get with Zoom. The other question is, and I know this has happened to a lot of my students when they've had the benefit of, of having you speak to them, is that do you send the work just cold? Like as oh, no, what never. No, I would, I would never do that because, um, as I said before, you are therefore relying on the work to sell itself, right? And um, even the greatest ideas may need um, some form of pre-sell before they're, they're revealed because part of what you're doing with a creative rationale is you're trying to get the client's mind receptive and open to your ideas now you've got to recognize that you know particularly if you're doing a zoom meeting what was the client doing five minutes before the the zoom meeting or the presentation or whatever they may have had some drama or something happening their mind could be on another project it could be on some internal issue it could be on some sort of problem and they walk into to the room so they're not necessarily in the mindset to be receptive to your idea so that's where using a creative rationale to just briefly go back through the brief, for example, and restate the brief, uh, enabling you to sort of, because, I mean, depending on the client and the project, I mean, I've seen briefs that are multiple pages long, but they'll often distill down to a single-minded proposition or a unique selling proposition or or whatever. And um your creative rationale is part of your preparation just to say to the client, yeah, I read your brief. Yeah, I got it. I understand all the key issues that you may be raised that are happening in the marketplace or uh, that are relevant to the particular product or service that you're trying to write about, etc. Then that enables you to, to basically uh, give them the confidence uh, that, that you understand their brief uh, that you know what they know what they're talking about in it and what their problems and issues are, and if and it brings the client up to the moment and gets them prepared and ready to receive your ideas. Excellent. So let's jump in. Let's talk about the creative rationale. What does it look like? Okay. Well, creative rationales um, to me follow the same formula for copy, which is. Um, unless you've been specified the length of what you need to write, I'm a great believer that copy should be as long as it needs to be. Now, now that may sound like a cop-out, but the reality is that there are certain projects where you need to write um, a novel. Um, that's just the nature of the project. But there are some projects where all you need is half a dozen really well-written lines and you've basically answered the brief. So the creative rationale sort of needs to be as long as it needs to be in order to address the issues that are in the brief, to restate the brief, to focus on what you've essentially decided to focus on um, and and the creative approach that you've taken. Um, so say, for example, if you're if your creative idea is a celebrity endorsement, if your creative idea is a 
um, a demonstration, if your creative idea is a, a very logical, um, scientific rationale, depending on what it is, then you need to kind of address those things as well too. But, I mean, if you can distill your creative rationale to probably about an, an A4 page, that would probably be the ideal length if you can because then it's not too long-winded in its own right, but it does enough of a job and you provide enough time to do the job that it essentially needs to do. Do you have an example there by any chance? I do. This was um, a creative rationale for a brief for Campbell's Chunky Soup, and it was actually uh, for a project that I was working on for the Canadian market. If I take you through this creative rationale, you'll understand very clearly that I'm restating the brief right from the start and I'm bridging over to what my creative idea is going to be. And so it's quite brief and it, it fits on a essentially a single page. The brief was essentially, can we revise the chunky brand of soup, right? And uh, my headline to my uh, creative rationale was, Sure, sure can do, okay? So Campbell's Chunky Soup is still the brand leader, but it is a brand in decline because the man who eats it has evolved, but the brand is not. Today, the Canadian male feels that demands are being made of him on every level and on every front more so than ever before. He is being asked, can he do this? Can he help with that? Can he come over now? Can he, can he, can he? Can, can, can. So what can the Canadian man do? Well, he can do a lot when he is fueled correctly. A can of Cham Campbell's Chunky Soup contains chunky vegetables, meat for protein, all in a nutritious broth that combined together makes Chunky Soup an actual meal in itself. You might say that after a can of Campbell's Chunky Soup, a Canadian man can do just about anything. In fact, you might even say that Campbell's Chunky Soup is, and then I reveal the idea, which is basically a member of the target audience holding a can of Campbell's Chunky Soup, and the headline is simply, my can of can do. So you can see in that creative rationale how I've, right at the start, um, addressed the core problem that the brief identifies, uh, that the brand um, has not evolved with the Canadian male of today. And by using the word can and subtly uh, weaving that into the creative rationale, what I'm doing with that is sort of implanting the idea that the word can um, has a dual meaning because of it can, a can of, uh, a can of soup and a can do attitude. Uh, two, two ideas that come together in the use of the word can. So therefore, when the client sees the idea, sees the poster, sees the headline and that sort of thing, they're, they're already resonating with the use of the word can because I've used it so much in the creative rationale. Wonderful. Yeah. And also, I think what's important here is you're showing your thinking before you've yeah. even shown your copy. So by the time yeah. you're showing your copy, it's not a lay down because by any stretch, but it's, it's, a, it's a damn sight easier to sell it because you've established the position. And I Correct. know from my students when we've, we've gone through this process now for training that it, it just by giving them the opportunity to have a little bit of airtime, you know, maybe five minutes before they sort of present, it kind of 
reduces their nerves and it gives them a chance to claim the space and to share their thinking and therefore the client actually said is now settled and they're ready to experience it. So what happens next? Well, then I'd go into presenting the work itself. Now, um, the way you present the work has a great deal to do with what medium you're writing or working in. For example, if I was presenting something like a, a, a short video for social media, if I was uh, presenting something that was um, a radio ad or something like that, then I would actually take them through it in full detail and I wouldn't um, table the copy to them until I fully presented the idea. Um, so if it was a radio script, for example, I would actually read and act out the script, particularly if it's got characters in it or sound effects or music or whatever it is, so that you make it a kind of theatrical presentation, if you like. You make it live, you make it interesting and engaging, uh, rather than just kind of going, okay, here's my creative rationale. Uh, now, here's a piece of paper, which is a script, which I'll slide across the desk and you can read it yourself. Because the way the client reads it may and interprets it may be very different to the way you actually want it to um, to be produced um, or created if it's a, particularly if it's an audio visual presentation of some form. So I would um, I would act it out and and make it live and so forth. Then I'd hand over the script for the person to uh, the client to have a read through to have a look at um, to understand it a bit better. Um, and then you can have a discussion about the idea. Um, you know, if it's a very long copy exercise, I wouldn't laboriously sit there and read through every single paragraph, particularly if it's quite long. Um, but what I might do is I might read out the headline, maybe the opening paragraph, and if it's got some subheads in it, I might take them through some of the subheads subheadings to show uh, that the copy does address this point and this point and this point and the next point, but let them read the detail at their own leisure. And the thing to remember there, particularly with, say, something like radio, is that the reason why I wouldn't just hand a script over is that radio isn't a written medium, it's an audio medium. So how you hear it is vastly different to how you read it as a, as, as a script. So if you were to slide the script across the client, really may not get your idea and may not understand it. Not all clients can, you know, think visually or even think in an audio sense um, and bring the idea to life themselves. The other thing to consider too, Mark, is when people are under pressure to read and they're being watched by the copywriter who's read it, the oh, temptation yeah. is to skim, to fast track, and that's really not the best way to uh, to have your work reviewed. And they're not able to fully... In, embody it as well. So let's just move on in terms of the long copy. I think that's, that's a fantastic strategy, which is to just read out the, the major headlines and, 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 as you say, talk the client through why you're doing what you're doing, you know, why you've chosen this particular headline or this particular idea. But let's move through to, let's say, the, the client doesn't like it. They just okay. are underwhelmed. Right. What's your strategy for managing those situations? Okay. So one of the key things there, I think, is to, it's really important when somebody um, appears to reject your work, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're rejecting you. And it's really important that you don't take anything personally. 
Now, one of the things I've learned over the years, um, and it's just one of those, I guess, life experience lessons that you've had after you've been in the trenches many times and you've been, you know, shot at, had your work criticised quite severely sometimes. You kind of learn to disconnect yourself from the personal nature of the um, rejection of the work. So I think it's very important that you start with an acknowledgement. So if somebody says, no, I just don't like it, you go, okay, all right, I understand that. What don't you like about it? And get into specifics because sometimes you can take a blanket rejection of um, creative work and think that the entire thing is being rejected. But in actual fact, it may just be that the client doesn't like the headline. All the copy's fine, but they don't like the headline. The headline uses a word that they forgot to mention in the brief is forbidden in their particular um, industry or in their experience or so forth. Um, one of the classic cases I remember was years ago, we presented a TV commercial to a client and we had the TV commercial um, because you can't shoot a TV commercial and then present it because the client may reject it. It's a very expensive exercise. So what you'll often do is what's called an animatic. And an animatic is where you get an illustrator to hand draw the scenes in the, in the commercial. We presented the animatic. So it's a, a, a series of illustrations of, um, in a, in a free form sort of style, like a loose drawing, almost, um, cartoony, if you like. Um, and we, stitched that together, we edited it together, we put a voiceover, we put some music together and presented the whole idea. And the response was, was underwhelming, to say the least. And there was lots of frowns and very unhappy faces in the room and all that sort of thing. And um, the client sort of got up and walked out of the meeting and, you know, we thought, oh, this is all going very, very badly. And then as we were walking out with the client, we, we quickly said, all right, we'll work it, rework it, come up with another idea, um, come back to you next week. There's a lot of tension as we're walking from the meeting room to the lift. And suddenly it struck me as we were approaching the lift, I said to the client, I said, um, what was it you really didn't like about the, the idea? And the client said, oh, I really don't think a cartoon is right for our brand. And what I realized was that they had thought that we were presenting an animated idea for their TV commercial, not something shot in, in real life. So in actual fact, what happened was because of that misunderstanding, we literally turned around and went, oh, no, 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 no. That's just what's called an animatic. The idea is going to be shot in live action. And their faces lit up and they went, oh, really? Oh, we didn't understand that. You know, blah, blah, blah. We all went back immediately into the boardroom and then discussed the idea. And the whole project ended up going ahead, but that was just one misinterpretation as and an example. Mark, where people say they don't like the colour of the woman's dress or they oh. don't like the background. It's like that's immaterial to the overall, but because they've never done this before or they're not yes. used to receiving creative work, they don't know how to actually assess it. So in our, what you're saying is it's our job to educate them on how to assess it and what to look for. So when you say, what specifically don't you like, that's a really brave question to ask. And also you can go back to the brief, can't you? So can you talk to us through about how we can use the brief that we've already created as a touchstone for the client so that we're not going into the emotional territory of like, don't like, you know, they can't actually explain what they don't like, which is often the case. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I mean, we've all been involved in situations. I certainly have. I remember another one that I was involved in where presented this whole idea and you talk about colour and uh, client said, oh, no, I hate it. I don't like it because it can't be pink. And it was a bit like clients will almost never write in a brief what they don't want. So they'll never write in a brief, uh, whatever idea you come up with, it can't be pink. So it's not until you present the creative work that that issue fleshes up and then can be addressed. So that was a place where we went, well, if we made it another colour apart from pink, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that'd be fine. So, so it becomes an easy thing there. But using using the brief and and referring back to the brief in your presentation is an important process to get over the human reaction to things, which can often boil down to I don't know, I just don't like it, right? Which is which is one of the worst things you can ever hear because then it, it, you sort of what do I do with that? Where do I go with that? Oh, I have to go back and rework the idea so I can come up with something the client likes. Well, if they haven't specified what they like, then that can be very difficult as well. Going back and restating the brief and looking at the brief, so when a client says, well, you know, I don't like it, and you go, well, what don't you like about it? Well, I don't like this or I don't like that. Well, if we look back at the brief, it was stated that that was actually a requirement or that was needed or that was very important um, point that was going on in your marketplace at the moment or that your customers, you know, it's very relevant or very important to your customers. So sometimes um, things can be uh, forgotten about or overlooked. And again, this is another reason why if, you're, if your creative rationale has restated the brief, you can then go back to it and basically say, well, this idea actually does answer the brief. Now, ultimately, things come down to personal preferences and clients ultimately do have the final say. And if they end up, you go through that process and in the end, if they say, I still don't like it, you can go, okay, well, let's go back and rework it and we'll come back. But you're still answering the same brief unless something in the discussion has changed the brief. And so it would be very important to get that, get that clarified in that post-analysis discussion. I think too, Mark, is in my experience, clients often object to some features that might have been mentioned that they weren't expecting to see. And yet us copywriters, because we've got so much material to play with, we have to make some decisions as to what gets included and what doesn't. So we make yes. these assessments. And so we put that in and the clients go, oh, I don't like it. And when you drill down, they go, I just wasn't expecting to see that. I wanted to include this. And so my experience is if we, and this is what I do, I don't know if this is something you do, but I provide the client with a summary of the features and benefits. And it's really uh, their job then to say, okay, out of the space we've got, I want you to nominate three of the top features you'd like to see listed. And then they give that back to me and it's, it's prioritised. And this makes my job easier because suddenly instead of me getting 10 features I've got to fit in somehow or make the call, I go, they're the three they're expecting, they're the three I'm going to put in. And so it just reduces that um, decision that they have to make when they watch the copy to go, oh, I, I expected to see it and I'm seeing it. So I find that preempting, and that's part of the brief too, is to say, look, this is what I'm thinking, is this what you want to see? Yeah, well, that's that's a very good point because 
often you may be restricted by length or time or so forth. Sometimes brief can be, briefs can be wish, wish lists, uh, particularly if the client isn't able to discern the priority of their selling points or benefits or features. They might try and, and, and say they'll list all 10 of them. And again, that comes back to your creative rationale because you go, well, we mightn't have time or length in this particular creative execution to list all 10. So we've prioritized the top three. And as you say, you might find that the client goes, well, if I was if I was reducing my list of 10 benefits down to three, they're not the top three I'd pick. I'd pick these other three. Well, okay, that's fine. Then let's resort or reorder things, put those points back in. But does the whole idea itself still work, even with the change out of those ideas? And it might, um, or those those particular benefits or or features or selling points. What I find useful too is I, and I say this to my students all the time, which is you've got to get your word count sorted before you start work. Absolutely. Because if you don't do that, it's it's an endless scroll. Correct. And, and like one client just recently, I said, okay, we've got seven hundred words, and when we went through the briefing, I said we're at the end of. Our word count is that we yeah. we want to include this. Well, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You need to take something else out. So, and and you give it over to the client to say, well, out of those seven hundred words, we've only got spaces left for two points. What are they going to be? And I find yeah. this works a treat because they then take it on their responsibility to work out what they do and don't want, not us. And I think that's where a lot of our time is spent in copies going, oh, what do I put in? What do I leave out? Absolutely. And I that's why I love working in things like radio and video and TV and all those kind of things because they're restricted by time and there are actual physical limits as to how many words you can actually fit into a radio commercial, for example. So just like you, I if a client says to me, oh, look, I really like it, but we didn't mention this. It's a kind of case, well, if you want to put something in, you have to take something out because there just isn't room. That's also true with word counts or copy length or any other factors, any other limitations or restrictions on um, how long the copy needs to be for a particular project. So this is the, the creative process is very much a process of where the rubber hits the road in terms of things because you'll often get briefs where people believe they can say all of these things and they've kind of got a a dream-filled wish list, but when the copywriter takes on the project, they have to apply some discipline to it and that's where this sort of uh, to-and-fro process can occur in the presentation and discussion of the idea where you have to effectively kind of work out, well, we've got to make some hard choices here and we've actually got to make some some decisions. And when doing that, I'm always one for uh, using inclusive language so that it's we, it's us. How are we going to solve this? Not don't pitch yourself against the client, you know, yes. us and them, me and me and you and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, so I, I would always open. So, so it looks like we need to do some more work here. What are we going to do about this? How can we fix this? Um, so it becomes a collabor- collaborative, collective process rather than a, an us versus them. The other, two, uh, the other thing, Mark, is what can happen, and I've seen this happen a lot, is clients uh, come to you with a task, and I'll give you the example. It's one website I'm thinking of. It's quite a complex website, had multiple things going on in it, lots of different products and services and businesses, actually. And the client wanted to rewrite the copy. And his perception was it's just a copy rewrite. 
And I'm looking at going, now this is actually a strategic um, analysis of what are you offering? What is your purpose? What does this website need to do? And I think a lot of my students uh, find this because they get a bit stuck because the client's thinking that with a rearrange of copy, they can fix this whole strategic issue. So what I say to this particular client that I was working with, I said, I can do the copy, no problem, but we need to take a step back and actually look at your business. And it became like a half-day marketing workshop, a very full-on four-hour deep dive into what are you doing, what are your key products, who are your avatars, what's the outcome, what are the actions, and they go, oh, we hadn't thought about that. And I think what happens to maybe novice copywriters is they go into something and don't realise they're being asked to actually restructure the whole business and and do the copy that way. Have Have you found that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had many projects like that where you you will start the initial discussion or the briefing, you know, or the project client might ring you and say, "Oh, I've got a job. I just need some stuff rewritten. Um, can I come in and have a meeting about it or whatever?" And you sort of go, "Okay." So, and your expectation is that you're, um, like you said, that you're you're going to be simply addressing the copy, and then you look at it and you go, "Oh my." Gosh, there's there's much more to this than just the copy. It's not the website is 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 completely structured in the wrong way. It doesn't have the right flow or whatever. And um, I've even ended up with situations where clients come to me to rewrite some copy, and the very first thing that was the most obvious thing to me was that they actually needed to fix their logo and their brand positioning name and actually tweak their business name. Um, because everything about what they were doing was tied up in something that just didn't communicate. It was kind of almost the complete opposite of what they thought they were saying. And, of course, this is a challenge with um, a number of clients who judge work on the basis of does it communicate to me, right? Now, if you're in a particularly specialised area or you may look at something and go, well, that communicates to me, right? And that's fine. It may communicate to you because you understand your industry, the market, you've been doing it for 25 years, you know, all the ins and outs and everything like that. But to a brand new person, what you're trying to say may not communicate at all because uh, the, the, the potential new customer looks at it and goes, I don't understand any of it. It's full of jargon. It's full of stuff that doesn't make any sense to me. And so eyes glaze, glaze over and they just move on because they go, I don't get it. So all copy, it's it's kind of ironic, but all copy needs to be written for the end user, but you have to get through the client in order to get it to the end user. That's and right. sometimes the client doesn't realise fully how little potentially their end user actually knows That's and they right. may not speak the same language or jargon. That's where I think the customer avatar is a really important concept to be Correct. established up front. So when you're doing your briefing, you say, well, the, the target audience that we're going for is Amy. She's 33. She's a photographer. Yeah. These are her issues. And so when the client says, I don't like it or this is not working for me, then you say, well, it may not be working for you, but is it working for Amy? Correct. And so you can sort of slide that conversation around so that it's no longer what they want or not or need, it's what Amy needs. And suddenly they're seeing it quite differently, which is where tone comes in. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I found over the years that often things are wrong and you can't quite put your finger on it. And then you realise it's the tone. And the yes. client, for example, has said, oh, we want it to be doctorly, motherly, professional, but quirky. 
okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. One word, like yeah. properly. And yeah. I find that even just having the discussion around tone is really important because often that gets overlooked in the briefing discussion because it seems so obvious. It's like it's not obvious. But if you just look no. at the client before the, the whole thing begins, what's the tone, you know, that you see this, this piece being written in? And then suddenly the whole flavour of the content changes. And that's something you, you can't put your finger on. That's why the clients often struggle. But if yes. you go back and say, okay, there's one word that you, if you could pick one word that sums up the tone of this, the voice, what would it be? And then they have to actually work quite hard at that because they go, professional but fun or yes. quirky but respectful. It's like, no, yeah. need one. And yeah, I, it, it look, absolutely. And I, I, and I think, uh, you know, another part of that process is um, somebody I used to work for years ago, she was terrific at before she sat down and started to write, she would look at the brief and then she'd look at the target audience, the avatar, the, the you know, the ideal customer, and she would quickly flick through her mind until she found somebody she knew that fitted into that, that, that was identical, you know. So my auntie Doris or my old next-door neighbour or my, you know, son's best friend at school's father is just like that kind of so you find a human being that you can write to. And if you if you sit down and picture yourself, well, I'm writing this to Auntie Doris, what will Auntie Doris understand? What language will Auntie Doris accept and relate to? What what's her reality, her viewpoints on life and so forth? And that helps, I think, like you say, address the whole issue of tone, because then you can sort of be very focused and, and it becomes easier to write tonally to a person than it does to an audience or to a mass market. Absolutely. And what about, Mark, when you, and you talked about this a moment ago, but defending your work because the temptation is to firstly take it personally. We, we know that's, that's yes. the right idea. But just to accept that we're maybe on the wrong path. But at some point you have to defend your work and say why you've done it. Correct. Why you've done it. And then I'll tell you what I do rather than just sort of talk around it. I will always provide my explanation as to why I've done something. And if I give in too early, too quickly, I think that does everyone a disservice because oh, the, yeah. the client is, oh, I'll do whatever you say. And yeah. all the ideas that I've just been working on and, and researching, I'm just giving away for nothing in terms of yeah. I don't believe them. So I think the temptation is to give in. But at the same time, you have to say, look, the reason I've done it this way is because given those examples, and then say, I will defend this three times. Yeah, I'll keep coming back at you as to why I've done yeah. it. If after that third time you think you, you feel strongly about this, that you want to do it your way, I will absolutely acquiesce. But I can't give in without you understanding my position. And I think that shows a bit of respect for the work as well. It shows that you've, you care deeply, that you want the best for them. What are your thoughts on defending work and how hard should you go at it? Oh, absolutely. I, look, I agree. I think that, that you, you kind of rule of three there is terrific because to touch on what we talked about before, the whole idea that somebody says, I don't like it, if you can use the what questions to establish what don't you like about it, well, I don't like this and I don't like that, well, then you would, I would normally go straight into, like you say, a defensive action, which would be basically saying, well, if you think about the brief, and if you think about what we're trying to say here, I understand uh, you've got some objections there, but let's relook at it. Um, I think this, 
you know, um, this expression um, addresses that issue in the brief. I think that this approach to the copy is the right thing for the for the target audience. I think that um, the creative thinking is the result of this process because I've done my research and I know this particular market, you know, is somebody who, you know, wants these sorts of things or whatever, whatever it is. And, um, and I would definitely push back on it. That should open up a discussion. Um, if, if the person um, raises further objections, the client raises further objections, I'd continue to push. I mean, I don't want to get into an argument with the client, but I would definitely defend the work and I would, would push because I can tell you that there have been many ideas and campaigns that I've worked on that were not initially accepted very well by the client and it was only a, a quite a, a, a big discussion um, in the meeting room and, you know, if you've got some other people in your team that can help defend the work as well, that's terrific. In an agency, you'll often have an account service person and if they love the work too, then they'll support you. They might jump in and, and help to defend the idea. Often it's been quite a push to to get the idea up and running, um, but then in the end the idea's run and it's been a terrific success. So, um, yes, don't don't roll over quickly, but by the same token, don't in the end become too arrogant, too cocky and too argumentative. At the end of the day, you want to get the job done. You want Correct. to get paid. You want to have a good relationship. Yes. I think it's something. I think you've got to defend it at some point. Go, okay, I'll give in, but I'm going to document that so that if yes. it doesn't work, you you uh, you do have some uh, backup to say why you did what you did. I want, yes. I want to talk about showing people in advance. Uh, for example, when a client says, "I want it done this way." I say to them, can you please send me some examples of what you Ah, yes. Screenshot here. It can be from any industry. It doesn't have to be from your own, you know, website or your own industry. It can be anywhere. But sometimes a picture tells a thousand words. And even, let's say, with web copy, which can be so diverse. And there's like 300 words here and 10 words there. There's all sorts of ways in which copy can be presented. I find that if I say to the client, just send me some examples of what you like, I instantly get the drift. Would you agree with that? What's your, your theory? Oh, yeah, definitely. Show me an example of the kind of thing because otherwise you can end up in these tremendously abstract conversation about, well, we want the brand to be this and we want the approach to be that and it sort of you know, it can all get lost in the ether a bit. But as soon as you pull out an example, so if you can pull out an ad and the client says, well, I really like this approach, it's in a different category but I still like the thinking behind it or I like the execution or I like the tone or, you know. And again, if somebody ever gives me an example of something, I would always go back to all the what questions, which is what do you like about it? What do you think works about it? What do you think is the insight in it? What do you think? And then that gives you concrete, like you say, examples of something you can work with um, to capture the the thoughts inside the client's head because clients like everybody sometimes have have a difficult time articulating what they really want and the old adage that um, you know often they, they'll 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 say i don't really know what i want but i'll know i'll know it when i see it and then you know <laughs> oh that's you know that can be a nightmare because it's like well, well it's a need have, to replace that, isn't it really well that's right it is you know and all that sort of thing so if you can find some examples oh well show me show me some things that you do like from other categories or your competitors or even show me Something that your competitor does that you hate. Yeah. Sometimes and, what you don't like is as important as what you do exactly, like. Exactly, absolutely. And, if and you I can, think that um, giving them the opportunity to send you something forces them oh. to consider what they do like 
and it forces them to narrow that down so that we're not all wading around in this morass of ideas that's nebulous and abstract. And the other thing I just want to talk about, Mark, is once you've taken the brief from the class, we're sort of stepping back now from presentations, but you've taken the brief, I personally like to go back to them with a summary of that brief. Now, I don't send a three-page document, but I say my understanding of the brief is this. This is the task, this is the word count, this is the customer avatar, these are the three or four features we're going to cover, this is the call to action, this is what we want them to do next. Am I on the right track? And that could be just three paragraphs, and I send that and then I get back yes, no, and suddenly we're on track. I find that kind of a useful concept because sometimes we think we're on the right track and we're not, and we go off and then we present the copy where we're wrong. What do you do to reflect back your understanding of the brief? Oh, yeah. Look, I think that's a that's another terrific um, step to use, particularly with certain clients and particularly with perhaps um, inexperienced clients because um, they may not have the experience of being able to shift from a brief to work. So having the brief played back to them, particularly if it's a distillation of the brief, like they may send you, you know, two and a half pages. And as you say, if you can reduce it to three paragraphs, which simply say, so let me get this right. This is what you want me to do. You want me to do blah, 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 and blah. Is that right? Do I have it right? Am I understanding you correctly? Then that is something that, you know, can save you an enormous amount of work later on, a lot of confusion um, and all that sort of thing. And so it's, it's, it's a great preliminary step to be to before you even begin working or coming up with ideas or writing. So, yeah, no, I think it's a terrific, terrific idea and certainly something I use from time to time as well. So, Mark, in wrapping up, what advice would you give to students or any kind of new copywriters and potentially even mid-career copywriters in terms of presenting any final thoughts? I think you have to, in essence, um, establish fairly quickly with a client that you have listened and, and that's where your creative rationale comes in. And like you say, checking the brief. So you've listened and you've understood what it is they're trying to do by using your creative rationale and your pre-sale discussion about the copy. If it indicates that you've done your homework, that you've actually looked into this thing, that you're not just simply the first idea I could think of off the top of my head when I was in the shower this morning is what I'm presenting to you today, um, that, that you've done the work, that you're a professional, that you know what you're doing, and that if you follow some of these processes, these disciplined processes like a creative rationale and so forth, it only assists your cause and makes you come across as professional, who knows what they're doing, um, Who's, who's taking the work seriously um, and who's got their best interests at heart and you're genuinely trying to do the right thing by them. And I think that's how, in a nutshell, you want to come across to a client. What a great way to finish up, Mark. Thank you so much. All right. You're very welcome, Bernadette. Thanks for the chat. As you can see, when it comes to presenting your work, there's a lot more to it than just sending it via email. The creative rationale can be your secret weapon to getting it approved quickly. It lays the foundation for explaining your thinking. It sets you up for a strong presentation and gives you the time and space to establish your authority. If you haven't used one before, try it out.
see the difference that it makes. And if you haven't already considered joining Coffee Club, please do consider it as it's a wonderful opportunity for you to be a part of a community where you can get your answers to questions, you can get your copy critiqued, you can share your wins, you can commiserate your losses, and you can stay inspired and maintain your momentum. As always, I'll finish with an inspirational quote and a very lame joke. And this quote is from Sal Bellow, the, ama the amazing writer. He said, you never have to change anything you got up in the middle of the night to write, which reminds me, if you don't already have a notepad by your bed, please put one there because it's those moments at three o'clock in the morning that will truly change your writing. And they're often the things that you wake up and you know exactly what to do next. And um, my lame joke to complete our podcast today, I don't want to let you down with anything less than a lame joke, is this. A cheeseburger walks into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. On that note, I'll say goodbye. All the best. It's Bernadette. Take care.